Welcome to Free Your Inner Guru, the podcast for and about conscious leaders and changemakers. I'm your host, Laura Tucker. This podcast is a deep dive into personal growth, spirituality, self-help, all the things you need to connect with your inner wisdom so you can become the leader you want to see in the world. Welcome to episode 83, a conversation with Suzanne Wilde. Suzanne is the author of The Art of Coming Home, Common Sense Self-Development Exercises to Educate, Inspire, and Empower You. Suzanne is an acupuncturist, holistic coach, and alternative therapist. She and I met online a number of months ago. Her pragmatic and straightforward approach led to an invitation to come on the show for a deep dive. We get into her varied experience in education, and the conversation ultimately lands on processing emotions which I find very fitting because emotions are running all over the place these days. They always are, but the COVID-19 roller coaster ride has certainly served to amplify it all. Suzanne has been very generous and given me a link to an online version of chapter nine in her book, Processing Our Emotions, so that you can have it to go along with this conversation. The focus on emotion raises a question and creates an opportunity to begin to unpack an important question that I get asked quite a lot, which is how are we to discern what we pay attention to and allow to influence our thoughts and behaviors so that we don't become vulnerable to undue influence? I was asked this question just yesterday and started writing a list based on my past experience. And being able to identify when your emotions are being activated, either by external events, past triggers, or manipulative tactics, and just even when they are activated and aroused because of the very real experience that that you're having as a, a natural response, we need to be able to know this. And so here we are with an episode that touches on staying grounded accepting what's going on around us, even when we don't like it, and processing emotion. Suzanne shares some tools in the conversations. And once again, I get into the passenger seat so that you can have a sense of what exploring this might be like. And uh, and some of this may be helpful as we each navigate our way forward. I'll end with this. If you're struggling, I encourage you to connect with a professional a therapist, coach, doctor, someone who you trust to speak with and resist the temptation to isolate. We are all human. After all, we need support and connection to help us through. So on that note, I give you Suzanne Wilde and a conversation about the art of coming home to ourselves. Suzanne is here to talk to us today about her book, The Art of Coming Home, and share a bit about her journey and how she became connected to her inner wisdom. Suzanne Wilde, welcome to Free Your Inner Guru. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. Thanks, Laura. It's really nice to be here with you. I thought we would start our conversation by giving you an opportunity to share a bit of your story and Mm. and how you came into the work that you do today, helping people to get connected to their inner wisdom, which is why when we cross paths, you're such a great fit to come on the podcast. So where, where did it all begin? 
I would say probably from the age of five, I've always had spiritual leanings and I'd be more serious than other children thinking about the deeper questions. Um, but a clear a clear um, step in my progress was to start Tai Chi when I was 16. And that was really interesting because I'd been brought up in a really rational, um, quite British, you know, environment. You don't really talk about energy or or the spirituality that I had access to was through Christianity. So trying something completely different, which actually really resonated with my holistic way of thinking was very eye-opening for me. And it led me down a whole journey towards thinking about Taoism. I studied, um, I did a five-year degree in Chinese medicine then when I was 19. And I've practiced as an acupuncturist for 15 years now. So I've always been doing that side of things. And on top of that, I've also studied body work, energy work, uh, various forms of self-development, shamanism, and I've just finished a leadership coaching course that's based in psychosynthesis psychology. So it's very holistic. It's been a bit random. Like if you if you looked at it from the outside, it wouldn't be something that a career counselor would recommend. And it's quite interesting because a lot of people do like the whole career thing first, have a bit of a not not a nervous breakdown. They have a, a crisis or an awakening or some sort of emergence and feel like they need more meaning and then around middle age or 30 plus then they'll train and for me and a a few of my classmates we just went into it quite early on which is quite unusual I think um and it's been a real journey I have to say because I've experienced so many different paradigms and ways of thinking and schools of thought and through it all I've come to create my own type of philosophy I wouldn't really call it a philosophy in that you could enroll in a course and study it but I think I've come to my own way of passing together all of this diverse information so that's it in a nutshell I remember when we first met you described yourself as a highly sensitive person yes and uh, I thought that would be a really fun topic to explore Mm. when I hear that term used um before I just I just thought it meant someone who is highly emotionally sensitive. Mm. And for anyone listening and myself included who's been at times, you know, if I've expressed emotion, what, particularly when I was younger, you know, accused of being too sensitive. Um, you know, so that was initially my way into that. But but it's also a almost a, a term to describe people who are who are have other abilities is that the case with you uh yes so being highly sensitive to me means and to many people honestly a few listeners are really going to resonate with this that when someone tells you something and you respond emotionally you're not actually responding to the words or how they made it seem on the surface you're responding you're responding to their intentions and then if you get upset because someone basically just wanted to bully you or make sure that you felt bad about themselves so that they felt slightly better, and then you responded to that, then they can counter with, oh, you're so sensitive. So it used to be like an insult. And now I've noticed more and more it's it seems to be a valued thing. So people do tend to react when I say, oh, I'm sensitive. They used to be like, oh, yeah, you're very emotional. And now they tend to be more a bit like I'm sensitive too and I'm like I'm not saying you're not sensitive it's just being a highly sensitive person is a very particular 
has a very particular list of qualities that you could just go around. If you're highly sensitive, you'll just go check, 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 check. All of that is me. I respond to people's intentions. I'm very sensitive to light and sound. I'm very um, sensitive to nuance. Um, I don't actually remember if this is to do with high, being highly sensitive for everyone, but I'm always putting information in in the light of all other information, if that makes sense. So quite often I won't understand anything until I see it in context. It's interesting how you describe that in terms of sense in the intention. I had, uh, I just this week had a situation like that where I was, I was in a conversation and the question that was asked of me was logically yeah. a very valid um, question. It made sense. I'd mm-hmm. welcome it again in maybe in different contexts, but there was something about the way that it was, it was set up and that I could feel. And I went back on my heels and mm. it was so unexpected. And, and it's interesting because you've, you've helped put it in to a different context because I started to question myself because this is not a, it's not a linear practical response, but it's more mm. tapping into the, the energy of it and being able to say, you know, oh, okay, I can feel the energy that's coming in and now I'm going to respond, you know, in, in my own way from, from firmer ground than, than I mm. did, quite frankly. Yeah, you did the best that you could, I'm sure, yeah. in the circumstances. And it, it's hard for us because we're frequently told that we're illogical, but actually energy being part of life, if you respond to something that's clearly a part of life, it's quite logical, really. It's a great mm-hmm. skill to have. You just need to know how to marshal your resources and pay attention to what people actually are asking of you and what they yeah. actually want from a connection. And it's not always apparent on the surface. And very difficult to explain later. It's learning to trust if something feels off and being able to respond in the moment. Yes, it's tricky and I I wouldn't pressure yourself to respond in the moment if I were you if I because the way I learned to negotiate it is the first step is realizing okay I'm very sensitive I'm highly sensitive person perhaps I'm something doesn't feel right first step is by yourself time Mm -hmm. however you want to do that I mean in my not very sophisticated way trips to the loo to the toilet you know need to go to the bathroom have a think for five minutes and then make a plausible excuse, reply to text messages later, you know, just really check in and tune in with yourself first. And I yeah. think it's important to say that not everyone, even if someone's trying to make you feel bad about yourself or get something without telling you exactly what they're trying to get, quite often it's unconscious or they're not really trying to consciously make you feel bad. So it's not really a judgment on them. It's more a judgment of what's right for me. I'm going back to what you said about the six being 16, not that I want to drag your entire life story out of you, but um, <laughs> a 16 year old who decides to do Tai Chi, was that of your own impetus? Yeah. What was it that, that attracted you to this Eastern practice? Oddly, I had a few friends who were doing it, which is a very strange thing to do. It's usually a martial art that I don't want to malign it at all. A lot of people do Tai Chi, but when you think of it initially, you think, oh, 60-year-olds trying to stay fit, not a group of 15 and 16-year-olds, but 
oddly, I was friends with a few people and I knew them. I didn't know them well, but I knew them and I was just drawn to it and I followed my intuition, which is pretty what much what I've done through my whole journey is just following a very clear impulse that you don't have to really, you don't have to understand it at the time. You'll understand it maybe 20 years later sometimes, but if you get that clear impulse, it's a good idea to follow it. Mm-hmm. And then you went into acupuncture um, and worked. Are you still practicing acupuncture? I haven't been during the lockdown. Uh, we're still locked down till April, but um, and I've actually taken this past year off because my immune system's rubbish anyway. So I've just decided to protect myself until I get vaccinated and then I'll probably go back. And I might go back to practicing for um, uh, helping people with long COVID because that might be something that's needed at the moment, but I have, I have been practicing up until recently. And, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I didn't mean to trounce in on you. Mainly privately, but also on the NHS for a year as well. So then you were in that practice and at what point did you decide that, you know, this wasn't the whole thing for you? Was there something in the practice of acupuncture or in the experience of working with people that said, I need to add more tools or what was the progression? It's more than enough to fulfill someone for their whole lifetime. In fact, when when I was um, 19 or 20, I started working with the um, the world's probably probably the world's most famous acupuncture author. Chinese medicine author and I worked with him as his assistant and he was fascinated and he said to me he hadn't read a fiction book in years he just transcribed uh, Chinese books into English no he didn't he didn't just do that sorry he read Chinese books and he used it for his research on his books that were in English and working with him was amazing and I saw how fulfilled he was but with my personality type I've never been able to just stick to one thing I'm more of a um a holistic thinker and unfortunately holistic includes like the world (laughs) not just holistic therapy so I've always been interested in a lot of things and so I wouldn't say that I could just slot into that one way of life or that one philosophy that hasn't suited me at all but some friends have done it and done amazingly well with it I think it really depends on what your destiny is and where your strengths lie and mine lie in extrapolating data and applying it to different areas creating a holistic pattern and using like lots of diverse modalities to uncover deeper information about the being and the body so yeah I I can't be faithful to one philosophy so many people are reinventing themselves including me I think to a degree like it, it was at the outset of the pandemic I had said to a friend of mine that I really wanted to change what I was doing. And that was last around, actually would have been exactly around this time um, in March. And I, I was sharing some frustrations and, and saying, you know, maybe I need to just burn it down and start again, because what I really love doing is the podcast and the writing and the photography. And in my mind, that meant a, slow, organic, you know, or planned process where I would slowly transition over and, and then (laughs) we all know what happened. 
right? Everything shut down, including mm-hmm. a lot of the means for me to get for us, probably both to get out and meet people for, or to have face-to-face contact with events and so forth. So it went very quickly. And then through the year, I kept getting all of these signals that, you know, the, to, to A, to make the change, but also to not rush it. And to remember mm. a couple of other years in my life where I was in the middle of transition and I pushed and pushed and pushed and didn't and ended up burning myself out mm-hmm. versus, you know, really understanding that when I was pushing hard and it was hard, that was more a signal that I wasn't on the right path. In my mind, I was thinking back to earlier phases when say I moved out from Toronto to British Columbia and I was pursuing, you know, a different life and lifestyle, it was all, it was a lot of work, but it wasn't hard work. It wasn't Mm -hmm. met. There was constant, considerable organic growth and knowing the difference, it took me a while to figure out, Oh, okay, this time, maybe let's not push it. Let's go where the organic growth is. And if really nothing is growing organically, Now's a really good time to work behind the scenes, set a few things up and, and get a plan in order to the, mm. to, to the extent that we can plan anything. What's it been like for you on your journey? Well, I was smiling because I had pretty much the same experience as you this time last year. I was confronted with the fact that I think I had outgrown what I wanted to do, but I'd also created a brand. And a brand is a a wonderful thing. And at the same time, it's a kind of, um, well, this is what you said you would be doing. And, you know, are you even authentic if you're not doing something in line with your brand, which you created? And it's that um, double bind of at least if you went into a corporate career that you just thought you were doing because it was sensible, you you could say, oh, well, you know, I chose that because society, but for me, I, I I chose my own path and then I felt restricted by it, which is feels like a double bind in some ways because you, you've done it to yourself. <laughs> you have no one else to blame. <laughs> Absolutely. It's not like uh, I could say, oh, my parents pressured me to do a five-year degree in Chinese medicine. I don't know many parents pushing their kids, you know, in that way or society pressured me to create a stretching brand. But I still love those things. But part of when you were describing your situation, it reminded me of um, a sense I've had of perhaps creating this external face for the world. I'm not saying this is you, um, but more my own experience of creating this external face for the world and thinking, well, this face isn't right. So I need to create another face, but I want it to be equivalently strong and formed for example and yet thinking about it now the problem was never the the face it was always the fact that I hadn't gone back to the source again so what it could be is you get resilient enough and experienced enough to go back to the source find out more about who you are and then re-emerge into the world with all of those gifts but obviously most of us haven't been trained so it feels like a failure sometimes or a falling down or a loss. And of course, whenever you leave something behind, it is a loss. And it's fair It's fair to grieve that because there's always going to be a good side of it that you're going to miss. 
whenever you lose anything or move on from anything but in many ways it's not a failing or or a fact that you've slipped up it's the fact that you've got strong enough that you can really go back to the truth of who you are and re-emerge with all of the that 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 value in a in a way that you couldn't perhaps back then that's part of my journey that might not be the case for you or other people it could just be what you need has changed over time but it's interesting that I felt okay well this isn't right so I need to create another one but I was trying to create it from the outside even though I work in (laughs) self-development oh we're none of us are immune (laughs) none of us are immune and I think that's part why a lot of the self-development exists is because we can't always see it for ourselves without an objective observer. We can't, it's, it's very difficult to be your own objective observer. It's and not. yeah, for, for me this time around, it was definitely initiated by the pandemic. But if I'm really honest, if I look back at the, say the year or so before, um, the podcast was, was growing, um, my it, my joy in doing it was for its own sake was much greater than doing it for say to market coaching per se mm. and and then last year I had this tremendous mirror held up for me in the middle of the summer which was that um, Wondery podcast Guru the Dark Side of Enlightenment where I got to hear myself like I got to hear myself sharing my story through the filter of the of the podcast and and the the how the narrative is created to tell the story mm. um from 2009 but what i that was as objective as you can get for me was hearing myself for hours talking about my journey where i did move out where i did go long before social media i can't even imagine if there was social media like to capture that journey of of you know it's it's what people aspire to now and and then i realized that it was always 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 about being closer to nature about mm. getting bringing my photography out into the forefront and having a lifestyle where i could write more and do you know landscape and fine art photography and be that in the world. It was never about the consulting. That was the means to the end. And I think that's what is so tempting, particularly when money is involved, when something is is lucrative, it can mm. be very hard to keep it in per, proportion or to um, or to let that creative side flourish alongside or let it nurture it and grow it to where it becomes the thing. Mm. And validation as well is very nice, which we can get more easily if we fall into line a little bit more sometimes. Maybe and, not. And be, and be what people expect us to be. Yeah, a little bit. I was reading about an art, artist who was ahead of her time and perhaps created abstract art. can't remember. Um, I want to say Klimt, but I think it's one word, one letter off. Af Klimt. And uh, she wasn't appreciated in her time she probably would have got a lot of validation if she'd buckled down and done like women things um but she followed her heart instead and and it would be naive for us to say there's it always works out if you follow your heart it's like yeah if you're born into the right time 
or if you find the right group of people, your validation might be instant. But you, you know, if you really want to follow your heart, you might have to do it without the validation for a while. And that can be scary for a lot of us. Mm-hmm. Especially, um, especially if we're not expecting it or driven from, <laughs> or, dri- or driven from, and this is part of the journey and, and we can certainly move into some of the topics from your book, this, mm-hmm. this journey to becoming inner directed versus outer directed. Mm. is is very much what the art of coming home brings forward yeah so let's let's start with the title of the book I I love it Mm -hmm. Um, it resonates for sure Um, I'd love to explore it with you in terms of what do you mean by coming home and and maybe why is it an art why have you positioned it that way Mm. or described it that way it's a good question I I've been doing self-development type work for a really long time. And I've always been guided by this inner knowing that there's there has been more that I could experience. So I suppose that the, the basic arc for most people is you're born as a really cute baby, gurgly, bubbly. Some, of course, some have challenges even as babies, but usually we're cute and round and shiny. And then a whole lot of stuff happens to us and we might get lost to differing degrees, depending on how right our culture is for us, how right our gender is for us, and all of all of that stuff that's sort of circumstantial or that you chose before you came into the world, if you believe in that. And we go on this whole journey of losing ourselves. And then in the process of finding ourselves again, we come back to ourselves with a whole bunch of experience and wisdom and compassion and empathy, because if we hadn't suffered ever, how empathic would we be? Really, if we hadn't lost unconditional love, how how important would it be for us to give it to other people? I'm not sure. I think for most of us, the journey is rediscovering who we are, what we what we really feel, what we really think. And depending, yeah, depending how well you fit in your culture or the start that you had in life, it's more or less of a struggle. Um, but it's doable for everyone. That's what I believe. I don't think I've ever met anyone that I thought couldn't heal completely or feel happy and contented in themselves. Um, the only the only slight caveat to that is, of course, if you've got a serious chemical imbalance in your brain, you might need to take medication or something. You might just have to. But for a lot of people, they can get over things with introspection and healing Get over things, I mean, not to cut it out of your experience completely, but to feel really just that you know who you are. You're comfortable in your body and yourself for who you are. Listening to you, the word that's coming to mind is is integrating it. I That's been an idea that goes alongside with the idea of healing. Mm. Is the, is, and you, you did mention healing. Healing implies in some ways that there's, that there's a wound or that something is, is, is broken. Is, is that what you mean by it being a healing journey? Yeah, I think most of us do get broken in various ways. And of course, if you're a highly sensitive person or you, or you've had a really traumatic start, you might feel a little bit more broken to you. It's, it's, it's a good word. I feel like some people have the wrong relationship with it. The extent to which you're broken is the extent to which you've been broken open. 
So you do experience the rawness and all the pain of that. But that is also your potential. That's how much you could love people. That's how much you could experience or have empathy for other people's pain. It's probably how much you could change the world. Because if everything's gone your way, you might have very low ambitions in terms of making the world a better place. And also, wouldn't it could be also low empathy as well, don't you think? I think that's probably true. I'm not... Yeah, empathy is a funny one. Uh, just to drop in this study that I, I read about a while ago when I was writing my book, is that empathy doesn't always equate to goodness. So if you're empathic you feel people's pain if you're highly sensitive you see people's pain like you pick up on it but you only feel it if you're also empathic and a lot of people there's a lot of crossover between the two so a lot of people have both but if you're just if you're empathic and someone's coming to you for help let's say with an open wound and you're like empathic you might not even be able to look at it or take them to the hospital so an empathic person is not always who you want in the moment <laughs> They might be like, I can change it. Like I want to to help put in a policy so there's less violence. But they might not be the person that you want with you while you have the wound, if that makes sense. So it doesn't always translate to being a good person because quite often studies have shown that if you're empathic, you'll take action to make yourself feel better first because you're so overwhelmed. Oh, interesting. So I, I, I guess the empathy we're talking about is empathy and compassion. I guess it is, but I'd love to, I I would love to read that study myself. It sounds yeah, very nuanced. It. Absolutely. Or maybe we can link it in the, in the show notes as well. It sounds like it, that it adds this layers of nuance to empathy and yeah. Empathy well, there's has nuance been, everywhere in self-development. It's all paradox. You have to be okay with paradox if you're really going to do deep self-development work. Let's explore that a little bit. Can you think of can you think of an a paradox or an example to illustrate that? Yes, basic tenet of self-development. I want to work on myself because I'm not perfect and I'm perfect as I am. Being an essential attitude towards self-development work because if you come at it with a critical mindset, you create that division within yourself of the person criticizing and being criticized. And then, of course, anything that you want to work on, as soon as you approach it with the attitude of criticism, it's going to hide away and run away and you'll just be dam creating potentially creating more damage. So even though you know you have stuff to work on, you also have to feel like I'm enough as I am and I'm not enough. <laughs> I'm enough and there's more. <laughs> right? yes. I mean, it's very confusing for some people because I've been in the hippie world, like alternative world for a really long time. And a lot of people at the beginning, I just say, I want to live in the light. I want to be one with the light, but then they haven't integrated their shadow and that's big trouble. I personally did some amazing self-development work recently and I've realized that the shadows increased quite a lot and I've had to do work on integrating that also and so you do have to be a little bit careful with self-development work but the good news is it's hard to go that deep with self-development work if you're not ready for it because you'll just get kicked out of your own psyche so let's you've mentioned the shadow um let's if that might be a an idea or something that sounds a little bit scary the first time someone hears that mm. um let, let's explore that a little bit. What do you mean by shadow? Shadow is great. It's 
It's uh, your potential. And it's all the parts of yourself that you reject. So it's great and it's terrifying. Because I feel like in many ways, most people's worst fear isn't, you know, the obvious things, hurricanes, you know, earthquakes. Their worst fear is the part of themselves they don't like. So, you know, mostly we can become aware of our shadow in terms of what's charged for us about other people. So what we're projecting onto other people. So that's a really good way of starting to do shadow work is these are the main qualities that I hate. Well, that means if you hate it, you haven't integrated it. It's not necessarily wrong to hate it. You can you can also see it as a bad thing or unhelpful in practice. And yet you still need to integrate what you have of it in, in yourself. Would you say that the extent or strength of, of your, I'm thinking of my own, um, my own shadow. And would you say that the extent of your sort of visceral reaction to that is, is indicative of the, of the degree to which the shadow is not um, integrated or that that characteristic isn't seen in yourself. And I, I'll shoot, I'm going to give just to make it concrete. I'm going to give an example. I've just oh, popped lovely. up in my head, something that, um, that I experience or experienced or used to experience a lot more judgment around. Mm -hmm. And that was around um, people who interrupt, right? People who, people who talk over and don't let other people finish their thoughts. I would have a strong reaction to how, how, you know, rude I thought that was or unfair I thought that was. And then when I started to work on it, I realized on one level, a certain amount of that is natural in a dynamic conversation. But on another level, I was also quite an interrupter myself. And, and that was a part of that seeing that characteristic to go, oh, and that was definitely an instant. That was definitely an instant of that outer judgment being a part of a mirror to myself. I've been envious of really successful people sometimes. To the extent that I went somewhere with someone who's very successful, had the same experience as her, came away, saw her social media post about it and felt envious of it, even though I'd been there. <laughs> And oh, I'm going to return the the question. What was the deeper thing there? Well, it's insecure. It's my own insecurity. How dare she be so shiny? And uh, and then unconsciously, I wish I was that shiny. <laughs> How dare she be successful? I want to be successful. <laughs> yeah, it's a funny, funny thing, hey. It's uh, it's part of reclaiming your power because when you project that she's so successful, you're getting rid of some of your own successful energy. Like, oh, I don't really have to be successful. I can just be bitter towards people who are and then feel bad about myself. Poor me, I'm a victim. In order and to validate because, yeah, yourself. Yeah, I've, I've had this uncomfortable success energy in me, not quite ready to express it, put it on her. And also she's an idiot. <laughs> and she, she's just wandering around taking nice photos. <laughs> She didn't want that. And it can happen with the positive. So your shadow can also be positive aspects that you also, you know, um, so you can hero worship people and put all your positive 
um, attributes on them. And then you can, if you're a tabloid newspaper, then you can delight in pulling that all down and projecting your worst qualities on people. Or, or when you fall in love, you project all your best qualities on them. And then they do one thing or you have an argument and then you project all your worst qualities on them. I'm also relating that and to when you engage with a um, with a mentor or a teacher or a spiritual guide or self-help leader. Which is why they have to be, they have to be so boundaried and they have to be so self-aware because that is a very charged dynamic right there, that teacher-student dynamic. Um, uh, I was recently on a course and it brought up a lot of emotions from being a student at school, at school age. Um, and you you are more vulnerable in, in a way when you relate to to a teacher and they have to know what's going on and they have to manage it. So less balanced personality will be like, oh, they're hero worshipping me because I'm awesome like that. And a more balanced person will be like, okay, they're doing the, they're doing the positive projection. It has nothing to do with me. Oh, they're doing the negative projection. It has nothing to do with me. And the less balanced teacher will be like, oh, so-and-so is an idiot, get out. Or so-and-so is great because they think I'm amazing and they're totally right about it. And they're just basking in it and trying to stoke that. And that keeps the students on the hook. Whereas a really balanced teacher is, just says, um, you know, thanks very much. That's that's your thing. You can have that back now. <laughs> I don't want it. I don't want the, the psychic energy that's wrong to have or the energy that's wrong to have. So just, so they do a lot of housekeeping. Yeah, that's a... That's a a challenging role to be in at any at any scale, mm. really. And I've done and, it a little bit myself. Being oh, the, myself the as teacher. well. Mm. And even you know, even as things evolve, I was sharing with you about the the community um, that I just built on discourse for mm. um, for the podcast. And this is part of what I've really I took my time. And I'm still in the in the process of of sort of revamping and 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 I'm not too firm in my commitment to the structure of it until mm. I get in there and see what works with people because I really I want it obviously it's my it I'm the initiator I'm holding the space I'm creating it I'm releasing the episodes and choosing the guests and and so it's really up to me to set the tone and the initial boundaries but my hope is is that it will become an environment where people will be able to express their own leadership and engage in conscious Mm. you know in big conversations with each other because Mm. I think that's part of the appeal of the podcast is is being being a listener to it ultimately it for me the more I listened to podcasts that I enjoy the more I wanted to engage and not everybody can, well, anybody can start up a podcast, but not everybody wants to, or it's, it's a lot of work. And, mm. um, you know, so to create the space, but also look at as consciously as I can at this point, as the leader in there, what role do I want to have mm. and how much, how much authority? And the, the answer to that is actually very little. You know, to, it's mm. it's to set the boundaries and and create an environment for for growth and discussion that hopefully flourishes and provides value beyond any anything I could ever provide. Mm. 
but it's required me to really go within and see, okay, what is this going to look like, be like to the extent that I can influence it? Because Mm -hmm. I can't, there's not, I have no desire to control it. And that's so interesting because just coming off the back of a leadership coaching course and thinking a lot about what leadership is, for me, it's a lot of like giving people a leg up, but also doing enough of the work that I've assimilated it enough to be able to teach it to other people. I don't, I don't see leadership as the, um, a lot of people don't see it as the classical, you know, hierarchical Mm -hmm. pyramid structure. Even though some people say that occurs naturally in nature, I don't think any of us are, well, we're all based in nature and we all really enjoy it, but we're still looking as humans, like plants, we grow upwards. You know, we're not, we're not determined by our biology. It's not something to aspire towards. You want to keep yourself healthy but you don't want to be like, I'm a lobster, so I'm going to just be a bully. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and because we're also spiritual people. And as leaders, for me, I think a leader is who you are as a leader is about who you are as a person. Mm-hmm. And it will be right for some people and it won't be right for others. And some people will act out and some people won't. Some people will be fine with what you're doing and some people won't. And whatever you do you have to follow your own conscience and just make sure you're doing I I think about it quite a lot because suddenly as a teacher I was suddenly in this role where I was joking with one of the students like I would normally and it really hurt him because I joked I teased him in front of the class and then it made his status go down and I'd never been exposed to that before I'd never been in any position where anyone was like oh no what does Suzanne think or or not consciously anyway, but suddenly I was moderating the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. So to me, leadership is is finding where things are blocked and helping to unblock them, helping to support people, and also trying to set the tone and maintain a certain boundary and level of emotional and spiritual hygiene, um, fairness, you know, qualities like that that are important to me. Absolutely. I don't want to tell anyone what to do. It's way too much responsibility. You don't know what's inside people. <laughs> you can support them, but I mean, yeah, people who want to be told what to do should not work with me. Yeah, and it it brings up it, it brings up this idea of of um, what I've come to think of as prescriptive leadership and mm. prescriptive coaching. You know, and prescriptive yeah. like being told what to do, right? Yeah, A outside in, yeah, versus. Oh, exactly. Outside in. Thank you for for that. And so the responsibility that I feel as the community space holder is to establish guidelines that make sense so people understand the container or environment that they're in, Mm -hmm. but also to encourage, you know, um, expression, creativity, growth, sharing, and, and that has to maintain a certain amount of fluidity. Yeah. But but there will be there there will be and are some community guidelines and rules that will be designed to create the atmosphere. Yeah. And you'll do it in the way that only you can do that thing. And it's funny because two different leaders could have exactly the same skill set 
and the the tone and who they speak to and who resonates with it will be vastly different but it's exciting it's exciting and it's to me it reminds me of self in self-development you know my book's all about you can do it by yourself and you can but you always need to come back into a relationship with other people well, and and so let's shift over a bit to the to the book. Um, you provided me a perfect opportunity to glance over at my list. Um, in the book, the first thing that jumped out at me, and I don't see it in a lot of self development uh, books, but you talk a lot about um, the importance of grounding and and centering. And I thought, you know, this is a very it's important all the time. But um, during the ongoing pandemic, I know for me, I was just saying the other day um, that I'm feeling rather crusty, right? Like it's been a long winter. Um, I miss my friends. I miss mm-hmm. the, the freedom of seeing family. I understand why I don't have it, but it doesn't mean that things, I'm not impermeable. They, things get to me. Um, yes. And when that happens, as I did this week, I was like, what's missing here? What have I let go of in my crustiness and checking in on all of my, my practices that ground me? So, so I'll hand it over to you to talk about why grounding is so important. Well, first of all, I'd like to just acknowledge that we're probably living through the hardest event of our lifetimes. And if you feel like not amazing, it means that you're a person, <laughs> not, not a sociopath. Well, probably sociopaths also having a bad time. So grounding for me is pulling all of yourself, your being back into your body in the way that you're really aware of it. So we live in quite obviously very technologically driven societies. And when you're in your computer, a lot of your mind is in your computer and therefore the World Wide Web and it's diffuse and it's dispersed. And you might have some sensation in your feet, but you're not experiencing them in quite the same way. In the way that if someone came into the room and asked you a question, when you were in a rabbit hole of the internet or deep in your work, you, you'd have to pull yourself together a little bit just to form the thoughts. So, and that's completely fine. That's good for that state. That's what you need when you're sending parts of yourself far out to get information and come back. But a lot of us forget to come back. And being around technology and away from nature means that a lot of our consciousness and energy is not always firmly grounded in our body. Um, I know that might sound a bit too hippie for some people. So if you're on the low alternative hippie spectrum, it basically means being very connected to your body sensations so that you can be aware of your emotions and your physical state and self-regulate. Because when you're up in your head or you're having daydreams or imagining things or worrying your pulse could be doing anything your breathing could be doing anything you just wouldn't know you might be clenching and you wouldn't know so we come back to our bodies just to be in the moment just to be ourselves in the moment because that's very healing and it's a signal to our nervous system that we're not in fight or flight as well which is very important and then if you're on the higher hippie spectrum it's also pulling your spirit and energy and emotion back into your body so that you can have this integration. Because when one bit's off over that and another bit's off over that, you cannot integrate. And without integration, there's no progress. Because you have to, it's like you you travel at the speed of the slowest member sort of thing. 
And self-development's like that. It's like, oh, you might be great with your mind and your body, terrible with your emotions. Well, your emotions are always going to pull you back until you get in touch with them. So grounding is right at the beginning of my book because all of the self-development work that you can do won't actually lead anywhere unless you're grounded in, in yourself. So that's my brief overview. Do you have any grounding practices that just to, to give people an example, either that you do yourself or that you see have either sort of universal effectiveness? So either personal or universal. I think both would work here. Yeah, I did a lovely meditation just a couple of hours ago where I imagined roots growing from the bottom of my body down into the earth and feeling all the soil and the rocks and the underground water and the core of the earth and then pulling that earth energy up into my body and releasing anything I didn't need, anything that didn't feel natural, um, any tension, and then having like an interflow between me and the earth. Because at the end of the day, we are part of nature and all of the the technology and things, it can it can separate us from that a little bit. So it's not just about the knowing, it's about the experience and the connection. And there's a release and an acceptance that happens very easily when you're deeply grounded. So that's one nice way. Another nice way, is easy way, is just taking a saltwater bath, going for a walk in nature, doing some physical exercises where you're really mindful of your body. I like to massage my feet because they're literally at the bottom of my body. They draw my mind all the way down. So that's very grounding for me. I've been finding lately that um, and this is, I've had to do some introspection around it because I was, I was feeling off and certainly the amount of screen time as I've mm-hmm. been, um, as I've been deep in the weeds of, of setting up new technology, which I'm not sure if it's fortunately or unfortunately, I have a geek side that <laughs> likes to do it's It's a form of creativity but when I do too much of it all at once or through an intense period, it tends to cut me off at, at the neck. And, and then mm. I noticed, then I was noticing things like my sleep is disrupted. I'm feeling, you know, more, um, more negative or emotional. Um, and in some ways that, that was, that was causing some real buzzing about my head. So it was showing mm-hmm. up like my, I felt like my brain was buzzing, mm-hmm. felt like a very physical sensation. And, uh, and then that plus the time of the year, which means I've been outside a lot less was a bit of a wake up call. Mm. So, yeah. oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say a lot of people feel exactly the same, including myself, because I've been writing a lot more because I'm a writer also. And it's just very hard to do it, not at the computer. And there's pros and cons to everything. But it's so great that you realized it and that you brought yourself back. And that's the key thing, really. It doesn't matter if you mess up or you become out balance. Just try and bring yourself back into balance. For me, it's just a continue. That's the journey, right? It's I, I, I'm not sure the, that for me or if the expectation should ever be that I would constantly always be in this state of balance because it implies maybe that I'm not stretching myself in some way. Like mm. there's other things that are uh, ungrounding, not just the, just right now the screen time is so prominent and you have to wonder, like we didn't evolve to 
be in front of screens. And even those of us that live in cities, I'm in Toronto, you're in in the UK and London. Mm. We're both in big cities and there's a different energy there. There's a different vibe. There's a different amount of connection to like, you can get grounded by standing barefoot in grass and feeling the earth at your feet. And sometimes the opportunity for that is not, is not there. Mm -hmm. I was just thinking to myself yesterday, how much I'm looking forward to It's just a few weeks away, but getting back out into the garden. Yeah, my hands absolutely. Dirty. And before then, just um, there's an exercise in my book for uh, tuning into something from the natural world. So that can just be a pot plant or a crystal or a rock, something that has that you're drawn to. And you can actually have a small exchange of energy. But I do put a caveat with the house plants. Try and not dump all of your negative emotion into them at once because they're just small. <laughs> you might need to yeah. just give them a little bit and check that out. You know, is that feel okay? Okay, then put it by the pl- the sun and be nice to it for a few days after that, maybe. I'm having a giggle because when you say pot plant, I'm thinking marijuana. And <laughs> I think you're meaning house plants, indoor sorry. house plants. <laughs> we mean in pots. That's what we call them. <laughs> I don't know if marijuana really makes you outgrounded. You you grounded very much. <laughs> and so that that's that's hilarious. Um, and this also leads to another another form of like uh, something else you cover in the book about acceptance and how important acceptance is mm. um, in the big picture, but also daily acceptance as yeah. a practice. It's, I wonder if it's something that we've even been brought up to do because we're such a society of aspiring to more. So should we accept what we've got? Should we accept, you know, if something happens, should we just blame the person who did it or should we accept it? Acceptance is quite triggering because it means that anything that's hard to accept is the thing that you haven't accepted. So that's why acceptance work is hard because if anything's easy to accept, you've already accepted it <laughs> pretty much. It's just happened. What would, what would be an example of that? Uh, it's gray outside. I can accept that. It's very easy to accept. It's not the first time it's happened in London and won't be the last easy, easy to accept it. Difficult to accept um, bits, of, parts of my shadow, a lot of my shadow. It's there because I couldn't accept it. Um you know, if if you're if someone's been nasty to you and you want to get past it, you're going to have to accept the situation. And what that does is it means that you come into complete awareness of the actual reality. Not your version of the reality, not the version that feels the most uh, empowering to you or the most like, well, I'm clearly justified because it means that you come into an acceptance of, okay, well, this happened to me. Maybe it was because of that. This happened, this happened, this happened. This is the clearly the reality. And now I can either move towards forgiveness or just put a pin in it for now and move on. But to accept it, you have to bring the other person and the situation and the details into yourself in a way that's quite uncomfortable and your ego would like Rather, you just got it out of yourself because you don't like that person. You don't like that situation. And for me and for most people, it's an ongoing work. But without acceptance, you can't really transform things. Uh, Ironically, you stay in a relationship with the thing that you don't like. 
through fighting it, denying it, blaming it, whatever you want to do, you, you stay fixed in a relationship. It stays very relevant because you're putting part of your own energy into maintaining that version of reality. Whereas another part of you will, will know the actual more, more full or clear reality. You'll have to spend energy suppressing that part and perpetuating this particular belief. So a lot of self-development when it comes to integration is about um, bringing together the truth of what you know, whether that's about yourself or your, your emotion, with the experience that you're ha having, bringing them into the same place, integrating them, and then getting that energy boost from like, oh, I don't need to repress that emotion anymore. And it was really hard to repress it. I was constantly exerting part of my energy to keep that down. And now I have that energy free for myself. If that makes so sense. It, yeah, it does. If I'll paraphrase, I think something that is occurring to me is that if you're not accepting something, you're still engaging with it. Mm -hmm. And that engagement is is negative. So you're expending in some ways when expending the negative energy of that resistance versus acceptance is more taxing. Yeah. And, and this, given we were just talking about grounding, that sounds very ungrounding as well. Yeah, it always keeps you off balance because you're always slightly towards that thing that you're resisting. And it's very important for people involved in social justice because you can burn out very easily. To accept that, let's say, a big issue, gosh, I don't want to make it too charged so we can't have a normal, normal discussion about it, but to accept um social injustice isn't to say that's okay it's just to clearly see it as it is if that makes sense to be as aware as you can of the reality that doesn't mean that you won't feel angry about it um but it will give you more freedom about how you move in the situation so you'll be less reactive so let's say you got burgled and you're very angry and you're thinking about the burglar and you've got all these ideas of he or she is such and such a person. And then you start creating stories and then there's so much involvement and then you start to redefine yourself as a victim. And then there's so much. And in reality, someone maybe is addicted to something or they're having a very difficult life, perhaps. Doesn't mean it's right, but there's more nuance to the situation than you're giving you're giving airtime to and I feel like in some ways the way that we consume media does train us to think more in black and white terms because there's a goodie and a baddie in a movie you know there's a good side and a bad side but real life isn't really like that humans are flawed and things you know things happen um, that aren't ideal sometimes it doesn't mean that we're perpetually a victim if we're in the newspapers it doesn't mean we're perpetually successful you know, life is very flowing and nuanced and everyone's got their own side of the story. So to just be able to accept, oh, I'm a person, I live in a city, okay, I got burgled, so did 5% of the rest of the population. I'm going to do this and that and then I'm just going to move on. It's a more grounded way, but it could, for some people, spin them into a thing of collecting information to prove that they're a victim or that life is unfair or... So yeah, the why a, this why does this always happen to me? Exactly syndrome. Does it always happen? Does is it happening every day, or did it happen once a decade? You know, so yeah, acceptance 
is just being with the reality as it as it is and yourself in relation to that. So, so let's let's put this into the context of the pandemic. Mm. So it's pretty nuanced. It's global and yeah. it's nuanced. Yeah. What would acceptance of the pandemic look like? The first thing that came to mind is just love for our fellow humans. There's so much divisiveness around the pandemic and it's been politicized. And to a degree, that's a lack of acceptance of difficult emotions. If we can just be with, this is a global disaster, really. We're having difficult emotions. Um, You probably couldn't blame someone for it just because they're a particular political party or they eat a certain type of food or they do this or that. We're just all in this difficult situation together. We're all flawed. We're all trying to get through it the best way that we can. And the people who can accept the difficulty more are less likely to try and project it onto a certain group or a person or have very fixed ideas. It's more a process of just having compassion for people, understanding that while we're all going through it, you know, if you're in a lower income bracket, you're having a very difficult, different experience. And just, yeah, just having love and compassion for people, accepting that it is a really hard thing. And although a lot of people have used it as a growth and spiritual evolution thing, I'm not sure whether that for me is fully what it is. To me, it might just be a pandemic (laughs) because. I don't think it everything's about us. But having said that, I used it as a springboard for my own spiritual development so I could be wrong about that. My my sense is that um and I circ- I move around a lot of people who own their own businesses. So a very, you know, a, depending on industry, a, a very it's a very affected um segment yeah. of the population. And people I think for for most people, it's the pandemic's been a catalyst. So whatever needed to be catalyzed has been stirred up. Mm. So, you know, to bring it to just refer back to what I was sharing earlier, this, you know, this shift or change in how I spend my time and how I express in the world and consequently earn my living. Um that shift was underway and the pandemic was the catalyst to move it forward. Um, It was also the catalyst to change in our household um, because my husband was working in the airlines. So it Mm. was a catalyst to some change that arguably maybe needed to happen, maybe didn't. And so it was something that we all needed to respond to. Mm -hmm. And then you've got pretty much everyone in I don't know how to describe it, but I I wanted to qualify saying sort of like developed countries, but it's probably globally. There's less, there's fewer places to go and, and for fun, entertainment, interaction. Mm. So I think being on your own or in your home with your family is another catalyst for relationships, for opportunities, for introspection. Yes. And we've seen the the early on the the race towards creativity 
that for many, many people has become sustained, Mm. right? Like all that energy needed to go somewhere. And it went into, I love all the artists who are able to pop open Instagram live and lead facilitated Mm. sessions and, and be there ready to respond to this massive amount of energy that was out there and needed to be directed towards something positive and constructive. Hmm. Interesting how much energy we normally would be spending in other places. Yeah. And then I do think to go back to the shadow, there's been a shadow side of it as well, where, um, and this is one of the things that's kept me off of social media a lot and, and engaged in my creative and writing and photography and the things I'm building is because I don't, I didn't, I don't ever, ever need anyone to post news for me in Facebook so that I can see the news that I'm, can, I know where and how I consume the news. So it just became, mm. it became just more stuff to manage earlier yeah. in the year. And some of it was quite, we've seen in the self-help and spiritual world, um, this dichotomy or, or division between sort of the same old, same old, and then the emergence of the conspiracy theories in the mm. wellness and, and self-help world. There was a lot more of that than I ever expected. Yeah, I feel that the that there's a vulnerability, there's a sort of backdoor vulnerability in the spiritual worlds where some people are not managing their shadow well. And the intensification of emotions that's happened under, you know, with the pandemic has spilled out in some unhelpful ways, a lot of misinformation. And I've always been dancing around it a little bit because I've always been an alternative therapist. Mm. And there's degrees of, you know, how science-based are you versus experience-based versus not even experience, just like an idea that's not rooted in anything. And there's always been some of that floating around. Um, But in the sense that nothing's nothing's perfect you know there's a shadow side and a good side to everything but in certain areas let's say um if you were a university lecturer or something you know and you want to present a lecture and then you get feedback and you'll be held to a certain standard you know you're in a framework there are standards for what you can and can't say and then there'll be um but but sometimes I feel that in the alternative world sometimes we're a little bit there's a plus side to be to being less regulated and a downside. And of course, a lot of us are self-employed. So we don't always, if you're, I'm not expressing this well, but if you're in a company, you'll get feedback on your behavior often very quickly. And when you're self-employed, you're just trying to figure that out by yourself. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of these people are used to being, believing their own thing and not having to be accountable really for it. You're accountable for the quality of the sessions that you provide. But anything that you believe or that you might tell clients, you're not really held to the same standards as other people. And I personally think that's a good thing in some ways to have an alternative to a rigid structure where people, for example, if you were a doctor, you know, in a lot of cases, you you couldn't prescribe someone a walk outside if you thought that was better than medication. Even if you really felt that that was better, you wouldn't be allowed to. 
so there's always a benefit to having an alternative but the the weakness there is not processing the shadow getting caught up in theories that sound like they might be true and it's like oh great my 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 discomfort can go somewhere mm-hmm. and then I can feed it and I can keep feeding it and I can feed it by just keep posting and posting and posting about conspiracy theories because people out there somewhere are doing things to us and it's really just a I think a projection mainly yeah and and usually I mean there's a shred of there's there's a shred or a kernel of something that either makes sense or that actually is science but yeah there's gets, always there's some truth pe- so yeah and that becomes it, it's going to be very interesting to see where it goes um it all seems a lot and you had mentioned it and I had it on my my list here it it's in some ways thinking about it in this context um there's a lot of emotion to process you cover processing our emotions in in yes. the art of coming home and a lot of it feels like even as we're talking about it unprocessed emotion it it feels like acted out emotion which is yeah. different than processed emotion can we jump in there that's i mean there's so much held emotion in terms of our history um and trauma in our culture that hasn't been processed and that gets handed down through the generations handed down and then trauma and personal history within families that's also handed down and if there's a lot in a family probably processing emotion will be repressed quite strongly so the first step for most people is just being able to figure out what word is for the emotion that they're having to know what they're feeling. I've asked so many people, how are you feeling? And it's either fine, tired, stressed, or a bit annoyed. And that's what you get, you know, in terms of response. It's not like, I feel a little bit lethargic and a bit meh, but also, you know, slightly interested in this. And I'm also excited about that. And I have a frisson of interest in this thing over here. It's never that varied. It's never that descriptive. Um, I it's actually quite similar to when I worked in a pain clinic as an acupuncturist because people didn't have words for their pain and so I would be like is it tingling is it shooting is it fixed is it moving is it dull is it aching is it throbbing is it and you go through a whole list and they're like it's that one so the first step is just to try and figure out what you're feeling and a great way to do that is keeping a diary and then trying to figure out the actual word for the emotion that you're having and in reality, the actual one might be some like really, really, really long 16 word German thing for, I feel that kind of apathy that comes on a Tuesday when I don't have any shoes that I like, you know, you don't want that level of uh, detail. Perhaps you might just want to say, I feel a bit melancholy today, or I feel excited. And so once you have some words that you can use to describe things, your normal way into what emotion you're having is through your physical sensations. So let's assume that you're grounded already and you're centered in your body. And then you feel a bit of an ache in your shoulder. You just put your attention there and then you picture it, uh, try and picture it as a having a shape and a color. And then you enter into a sort of dialogue with it. Uh, for some people that might be too advanced and you just go at your own level, whatever you can, can um, deal with at the time. But a lot of these skills, I, I feel like they should be taught in um, in school to children it should be you know you should be taught how to manage money you should be taught how to be kind you should be taught how to process your emotions and know how you really feel about things deep down 
But a lot of people never figure it out unless they go to therapy, which is reserved usually for people of more, with more money. And that is another side to maintaining the social inequality that we have because if you come from a very difficult background you're probably going to have a lot of trauma to work through and do you have the language and the knowledge to work through it but that can also happen if you're very wealthy obviously um so in my book I've just tried to lay out these tools for helping you to figure out how you feel and I've put a lot of different tools in one place in my book because most people don't want to go and read a textbook on psychology or a book on spirituality or a book on connecting to this type of emotion or this very specific thing. I've just given people the the building blocks of what you really must need. You must know about self-development work, in my opinion. And processing emotions is huge just for finding out who you are. One of the things that I'm thinking about with regards to this podcast and, and, and things moving forward, I, I want it to be as highly accessible and obviously a free podcast is about as, as accessible as you can get. Um, And this is why I love bringing people on here who can get practical like that. Can we go back to what you were saying about the emotion in the body? Um, Yeah. Yeah. And the shape and the color. And I want to chime in. This is very much um, when I went and did my, my coach training at uh, the school is called Coachville. Mm. And, uh, and there's a method there called inner freedom method. And what you just described with the, with the feeling in the body, the, the shape, the color um, is very much a part of that inner freedom Mm. method. And my observation and in talking to some people, um, like my very good friend, Lori Rubenstein, um, Julie Min, who's been on the podcast, is that compared to even 10 years ago, people seem to be able to move through this process um, more with more ease and accessibility to it, mm. even on their own. And so let's let's run through it just a little bit more slowly so that people, because I think making like I had mentioned that I literally felt like my brain was buzzing, right? And that was my signal to go, oh, I need to pay attention to this. This is a physical, I don't have a headache. I've got a, a negative buzzing energy in my head mm-hmm. and going and, and feeling into that. So can you just take us through as much of that as you're comfortable as a, as a professional with giving Absolutely. people, and and we'll refer them to, you had asked me before we came on if there was a chapter in the book that we could make available to our community members. And I think we might've just found it. Yeah, that so, would be great. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So that's very generous. So let's, let's assume that is, has happened and, uh, and, and people have the chapter, but let's walk people through um, with your lead on identifying feelings in your body. Sure. And if they're using this in real time, they can just pause between instructions if they want to do the process. Um, I first came across it in psychosynthesis work. I'm not sure if that's where it originated or if it originated somewhere else. And it's a very interesting process for using visualization. So you're using the imagination in your mind, but imagination to discover not to make up, not to make up things. So imagination is a kind of mental function that you can use to help excavate parts of yourself or to explore parts of yourself. So you would close your eyes for this 
process normally. And you would just let yourself be guided to the most relevant physical sensation in your body. It could be anywhere. It could be any sensation. What you might find is through the process, it disappears. And then you feel something else. If that happens, you can move to the other sensation. Or you might just feel that um, your mind has overridden you. So um, although we're using our mind for this exercise, we're not using it to tell us the answer. We're using it to look for the answer and wait as if we've got a as if our mind is an open hand. So you have a feeling of waiting and allowing. So if at any point it feels like your mind is going, well, this is that, and da, 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 then that's not the process. So you close your eyes, you feel drawn to the dominant physical feeling in your body, and it'll be a sensation of some kind. Just notice what the sensation is. And just take a few moments to describe that to yourself and see if you can accentuate it slightly. So just by giving it more of your awareness, just let it grow slightly. And then you just want to notice if it has a temperature. And And notice... I'm I'm going to do this with you. Yeah, go ahead. I'll talk you through it. But yeah. I'll do it to to um, to model being in the the recipient's um, seat. Absolutely perfect. Okay. So I'll give you a little bit more time between instructions then. So sure. just ground yourself. Really let yourself arrive. Feel your bum on the chair. Feel the weight of your body pushing into the ground in the chair. Take a deep breath in and breathing out. Let go of any tension in your body. And really give yourself this space. Really expanding into your own space. And now just notice a physical sensation in your body. The first one that you notice is usually the best one. Picture or just take in the details of how it feels. Let your attention be with it. Let it be at the forefront. Does it have a temperature? Just notice. And now picturing it in your mind's eye, if you if it feels right, allow it to have a shape and a color. It can be in, in your body, or it can be outside of your body. It can be the real size or bigger or smaller. When you have a clear idea of that picture in your mind, just ask it if it has anything it would like to say. And wait with an open mind. Okay. And if you feel right, you can have a dialogue with it so you can speak back to it. Or you can ask it what it wants. Now, do you want me to articulate or would you, you like to? to? It would be interesting. For the listeners. Yeah. It would be interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. So the initially I thought I was going back to the buzzing in my head. 
and it moved to be around my eyes. Mm. And the shape was like a capsule. Mm -hmm. So it was oblong. Mm -hmm. And it had a sort of a dark, it wasn't black. It it was like a smoky gray capsule, Mm. just, you know, hovering Mm -hmm. around or within my eyes. Mm -hmm. And what did it want to say, if anything? Rest. (laughs) Right? It that's yeah. what it wanted to say. That's what it called up. Great. And then with the just small amount of engagement there, it's like, no, that's what I want. Let me, you right. know, kind of let me rest. Would you like to go back into that now just to work with it a little bit more? Sure. See if it's still there. Okay. And ask it, how would you like me to rest? Not by reading. right even even not but like even not book reading yeah and it's interesting because I went to bed very early last night and it's calling for more more sleep yeah and is it saying anything else is there a feeling of there being anything else it needs Not right now, no. Okay, that's great. So do you feel okay? Do you feel comfortable in yourself? I do, That's great. That's great. So that was quite a straightforward emotion because other times people can work on emotion and that will lead them deeper or to another emotion or to another emotion. But this is a very clear clear, um, case of you just accessing a part of yourself that wants to speak up and presented initially as a physical sensation to say, hey, Hey, I've got something to say. By the way, stop using your eyes, please. <laughs> yeah. Give so it, give it a rest. But I also, and they didn't come up today, but I know that there are certain in the work that I've done, um, there are certain feelings that I get in my body that are that are a trigger or not a trigger. They are triggered for sure mm-hmm. by certain circumstances or patterns. And typically it has to do with, you know, paying attention to what's in your heart mm. or in my heart, since I'm speaking mm. about me, not to disembody it. Um, and, you know, I think for, for the listener is doing this kind of thing. Is it, is it safe to do Suzanne? Is it safe to do it on, to do it on your own? I would say typically, yes. If you know that you're not very mentally well at the moment, I would maybe not, or just do it uh, engaging with a counsellor who'll be able to take you through the process because then you know you're in someone's hands. But generally speaking, if difficult emotions come up, you can stop at any time, go back and do a grounding or centering exercise just to bring yourself back into your body. And also the typical, the thing that often happens is when you accidentally touch on a traumatic emotion, you can start activating those feelings of trauma again so you just want to reassure yourself that you're okay you're safe you're in this moment do something nice for yourself brush your hair you know give yourself a shoulder massage laugh at something it's fine to pull yourself out of the emotion and only do as much as you can manage typically people have an automatic valve where they only go as deep as they can go 
Mm. And then, like I said, before you get kicked out, almost you get pushed out. It's just like, okay, I'm done now. It won't, if you can't handle it, typically it won't show up. Um, and yet you still, it's, it's a very good idea just to take care of yourself and not do too much. There's definitely such a thing as too much self-development work. You know, you need the rest and integration as much as you need the work itself. Yeah. This type of work is, um, at least in my experience of it, has in a coaching um, model using that inner freedom method has been extremely powerful in terms of allowing people to see that the emotion that is coming up is usually triggered by a similar circumstance or pattern. You know, I think for me right now, the eyes and the seeing, the, the eyes have been, my eyes have been a theme all year, mm. um, starting with an eye infection last year. But so there's still, there's still a physical aspect to that. So that's why it calls up so easily. Mm. But there's also, it took me a while, but because it was a very real physical eye infection, but also to look at, you know, what, what am I not seeing? Like, what mm. is the... um what am I not allowing or what are, where am I directing my gaze or energy that isn't productive? Sometimes we have to get direct it inwards instead of outwards for real healing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, thank you. Thank you for that. I think it's very powerful and, and incredibly practical, especially, you know, we are as a culture where we've been, we've been taught to be up in our heads. Yeah. And this last year has also put us up in our heads. Like it's mm-hmm. a lot to process emotionally, energetically, mentally, you know, wondering it, it's, we don't know what's next. No, oh, yeah. Even right. Like, <laughs> and so, and that keeps us prone to being kept up in our heads mm. and as a practice to, to bring ourselves back down into our bodies where so much of our intuitive wisdom um, lies. Yes. It's true. It's so important. I don't want to say especially for women. I think it's especially important for women and men, but I see women just taking to it like a fish to water, you know, and men really, gosh, I don't want to be too gendered about it. This is just what I've noticed in my own experience. So whichever way you identify, because we all have masculine and feminine energies, but I've noticed a real deepening of experience in men who really get in touch with their intuition and their more feminine side. And I've noticed a relief from women from getting in touch with their feminine side of the like, Oh, thank goodness. And I can just and let go of the, the weight of expectation of being different than I am. And but, when you say feminine side, you're not, you're not necessarily talking about um, feminine, masculine, male, female, you're talking about these terms are so charged yeah energy like like um so intuition unpredictability chaos um being enough as you are going inward introspection those those type of qualities I actually have a book for exploring the feminine um sorry not a book I've got a exercise for exploring the feminine in my book and it's part of the acceptance chapter because the the more patriarchal society has been so much about striving that's been something that interferes with acceptance quite a lot 
So as a way of helping people to come to acceptance, there's an exercise on really exploring your feminine. And you can, it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman or, you know, whatever is going on in terms of that. There can be such charged terms to use. But really, we, we both have feminine and masculine. We both naturally have a tendency towards one or the other, usually. Um, and we, we both, both all genders need it. So, so it's, it can be incredibly healing. And I feel like if there is an upside to the pandemic, it is forcing people into the feminine state. You can't just expand just for the sake of it. You can't do anything just for the sake of it, really. I mean, unless it's on a very small scale, you can't just throw yourself into progress or activity or action as a way of distracting yourself from a lack or a need. You have to be with what is. And that can be bring up a lot for people, you know, and sometimes it's too much and you just need to watch TV. And sometimes you have the capacity to go there. So that's something I meant to mention about the emotions. You don't have to do emotional processing. You can just veg out to Netflix. It's absolutely fine to do what you need to do. It's just a tool for you. You're not in service of the tool. And that's like all of the tools in my book. They're, they're for you. They're not telling you who you should be. They're trying to support you in finding out who you are so you can feel a bit more like happy and relaxed in yourself. Just before we, um, we close off, if someone has been listening and there is one takeaway or one practical thing that they can do mm. to move the needle on, on in the way that you say it in this art of coming home, mm-hmm. what would you, what would you suggest or what could they dive into? Okay. I think I've got something. Do you want me to say it now? Sure. Okay. So if You imagine that you were the most loved person in the world and you had all of that love for yourself. What would change? What would you do differently? What would you need or have? That's a big one. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on here and and being generous with your time, but also generous with the ideas in, in, in the book and and you know really engaging in a very you know current and contemporary conversation but also these are you know going back to your your background of whether it's acupuncture all the way to tai chi to uh, we didn't get into it much today but the shamanism a Mm. lot of these this energy management and this type of work has been around for a very very long time and and you are are bringing it forward so you know i want to acknowledge that and embrace the the wisdom and 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 express full gratitude for the work that you're doing and and what you've brought here to free your inner guru it's been an absolute pleasure that's very kind thanks so much for being here i know you've got a ton of choice in the podcast universe If you would like to connect with me and our guests online, you'll find links in the show notes. And if you're looking to have more conscious conversations in your life and connect with conscious leaders who are also discerning seekers, be sure to check out the Free Your Inner Guru leadership community. We meet live online twice a month and carry on the discussion from the podcast in our private discourse community. If you're new to discourse, it's an app 
kind of like being on social media, but without all the trolls, fighting, and intrusive ads. All the information is available on the newly updated freeyourinnerguru.com. If you'd like to help spread the word, please give the podcast a five-star review and share it with your friends. Free Your Inner Guru is researched, produced, edited, written, and posted by your host, Laura Tucker. And if you'd like to support the podcast, you can become a supporting member or join the leadership community at patreon.com forward slash free your inner guru. Until next time, I'm Laura Tucker signing off for Free Your Inner Guru.